aware that there's, we talk about warfare sometimes, but there's a lot of different types of warfare out there. Even when you get to military, you have naval warfare, you have aerial warfare. And then we have some of these things that scare us a little bit more, like biological warfare or chemical warfare. We see a lot in our world today of guerrilla warfare, where people sneak around in, in small bands and, and attack. We also see things like economic warfare, psychological warfare, and, and one of the ones that, that we fear a lot would be nuclear warfare. But I'd like to add a new one to the list this morning, and I'm just realizing as I say that, oh good, we got another one. But it's verbal warfare. It's where two people or two sides just go at it, but they go at it with words. And back and forth it goes, and it seems to escalate insults and criticisms, ridicule, name-calling, accusations, bullying, vilifying. And to make it worse, we seem to have like new weapons at our disposal too, so we can package all of these word things and we can package them into emails or into tweets or into texts or into comments. And we actually can hide behind our own keyboards, our own smartphones, and we think that we're hiding behind this cloak of anonymity, and we start blasting away. But let me tell you, I think it's taking a huge toll in our world in our society, there's a lot of emotional collateral and relational carnage that we see. And we've been left with a society that has no idea of how to deal with differences, let alone solve them. We tend to argue more than we discuss things. We attack way more than we encourage. We disrespect way more than we treat others with dignity. And we spew vindictive things way more than we ever take time to ponder and carefully respond. And the truth of the matter is, we don't really even know how to have a civil conversation. If we disagree with somebody, we just lock and load, and off we go. And it's wrong. And there are a couple solutions out there. One solution would be that we all just think the same thing all the time. And if it helps, we'll all just think what I'm thinking. At least we have a standard to go by, right? We all think that, don't we? The truth is that's never going to happen. The other option that we have is that we actually learn how to disagree agreeably or how we, uh, that we actually learn to engage in civil discourse. And it's not just the media and national leaders and world powers or even the trolls that you find on the internet that needs to learn these skills. It's us. It's the conversations that we have with our relatives, the debates that we get into with our coworkers, the disagreements that we have with our friends, the arguments that we have with fellow churchgoers the fights that we have with our husbands and wives. We just do what we do. We just say what we say. And we just continue to copy what's going on around us. And in the process, we are exacerbating the problem here. 
And I think it needs to change. And I want to challenge us. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. I want to challenge us to be part of the solution. Our world needs a more civil conversation, don't you think? Our world needs people who know how to disagree, but to disagree in appropriate ways. Our world needs people who speak in the way that God intended for us to speak in the first place, and who speak in the way that James, one of the authors of the New Testament, gives us ideas of how to do. And so we want to look at his book this morning, James, a letter that he wrote. Actually, the first book, we believe, that was written in the New Testament. And James was the brother of Jesus Christ. He writes this book in general, but he writes this book to people to say, hey, here's what your faith should look like as you live it out in daily life. And if you want to boil it down to a a, a really simple level, James is saying, here's how to take your faith and live it, and in the process, enjoy the life that God has for you. So I look at what James says, and I look at his book, his letter, as a book of wisdom, where he says, this is life, and this is how life can go well for you. And so we're going to look this morning at this idea. What are you saying? And what are you saying when it comes to disagreements and to arguments, and where you can't get on the same page with someone? And we're going to look at six rules to follow, mostly taken here from the book of James. So we're in James chapter 1, verse number 19 is where we start. James says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Let me just pause right there as we get started. What James is doing with that little introduction is two things. First of all, he's saying the obvious, hey, pay attention here. I don't want you to miss this. What I'm going to say is really, really, really important. But he's also shifting gears. And so it's a transitional statement. What he has been talking about, he's moving into new territory. But he says this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And he gives us these rules that we can follow. First of all, he says this. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Do you know that most of us are horrible listeners? Let me say that again. No, just kidding, all right? (laughs) Most of us are horrible listeners. Partly we're so distracted by everything going on around us, by what's going on in our hands, uh, because that's where we keep our phones. And with what's we've got to deal with at work. And so we get into conversations with people and we're not even listening because there's all these things going on in our own heads. And we're really, really bad about listening. But even when we are engaged in a conversation, especially if we're engaged in a disagreement, we're really bad at listening there too. Because I am only just, the only listening I'm doing is I'm just listening for noise. And when the noise turns off, I know that it's my turn to speak, right? So I'm not really paying attention to the words or the messages that you're saying. I'm just waiting for you to stop. Sometimes we don't even do that. Sometimes we just dive in there and interrupt. And somebody says this, and you're like, but! And we just dive right in there. But if we are polite enough to wait, we're not paying attention. We've only listened long enough to get to the point where we hear our answer 
and then we wait for them to stop so we can give our answer. But that's not listening. And we impatiently wait to respond. And when we're in a conversation, especially if it's a disagreement, so many times we feel like we're being attacked, so we are ready to defend ourselves and to jump into the fray. But again, it's not listening. And James says here, hey, you need to listen because if you don't listen, you're never going to win here. You're never going to get anywhere. This argument is never going to be resolved. And it's not productive because it's never going to get the other person and you on the same page. See, the goal of listening is discovery. Because if I don't listen, I don't learn. And if I'm in a conversation or disagreement or argument with somebody, and I'm not listening to them, I am not learning. And if I'm not learning, I have no way to make an informed response because I'm not informed. And so we listen so that we can answer, but so that we can answer in an appropriate way. And I listen to, and here's the goal, I listen to understand. I listen to understand. This is where I think we get off track. We talk about this in re-engage, by the way, just to put it on a plug for re-engage. But we also, we often listen to, or, or excuse me, we often want people to listen to us to agree with us. And, and we start to pursue that in our arguments. I, you're not listening to me because we, because you don't agree with me. And we go back and forth on that issue. But when we're talking about listening here, we're not listening to agree. We're listening to understand. And there's a difference there. Because agreement requires that I move to where this person is thinking. Understanding doesn't require me to do this, but understanding does require me to listen long enough where I can get what the point is that you're making. And interestingly enough, if we get in our arguments or conversations where understanding has taken place, agreement isn't that big a deal. We just want to be heard. We just want to feel like somebody is listening to us. And when I can say, oh, what I hear you saying is, and give you that understanding, that's going to de-escalate things to start with. So the goal is not to agreement. The goal is understanding. Let me tell you this. Me this. It doesn't cost anything to listen. Have you realized that, that if you slow down the argument... And if you don't respond, nothing bad really happens. I mean, maybe they keep going and you have to listen to it for a while longer, but you can probably survive that. And it's not costing you anything to simply listening. In fact, when you're listening, it's helping you because when you're listening, you're not talking. And when you're not talking, you're probably not saying something that you shouldn't be saying. And so listening is a great tool. And by listening, though, you are offering the other person the same honor, privilege that you're hoping that they will grant you, right? Because you want to be heard as well. And so even if you go first in listening, you're going to help yourself so much in these relationships by simply listening. Now, don't miss what James says here, though. He didn't just say listen. He said what? Be quick to listen. Go there immediately. Go there quickly. Get there. And when this thing starts to happen, stop and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to 
close down here, not mentally. I'm going to close my mouth down, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to try to learn so that I can engage in this argument conversation appropriately. And then James says, once you have done that, then, in contrast, quick to listen, but slow to speak. I'm not always slow to speak. I'm usually the opposite, right? Slow to listen, quick to speak. But he says, be slow to speak. And by doing so, you'll give yourself time to ponder, consider, to evaluate, to be thoughtful. You'll give yourself time to get yourself under control. And sometimes we talk about that, let's go ahead and count to ten. What's the value of that is like to step back and say, whoa, okay, I need to make sure that I'm under control. Give yourself time to respond instead of react. Give yourself time to choose what you're going to say and to even choose how you're going to say it because you always have that choice. So let me just give you a few suggestions of what you might say then. As it's your turn, and maybe you've listened, and maybe there's a pause, and maybe now it's appropriate for you to respond. Here's some ideas. What if you asked a question instead of making a statement? Because then you'd indicate what? I'm still trying to learn what you're saying here. I'm still trying to make sure that I understand here. That's an idea. Or you could do what we call mirroring. If you heard this phrase, mirroring, it's where I actually repeat back to somebody what they just said. And that sounds kind of silly and crazy. And you know what it does, though? It lets people know that you were listening. So I, I think what I heard you say was, and it flips the way that the conversation's going, and it lets the other person know that you're trying to understand. You could offer empathy. And empathy is not that you feel the same thing that that person's feeling. Empathy is that you recognize that that person is feeling a certain way and that you try to understand what that feeling is. And we get into these conversations, there's a lot of feeling involved in them, isn't there? Well, empathy says, I recognize that you feel this way. And when I acknowledge that, I've just told that other person, Okay, I am valuing you and the way that you feel here. And so I would just say, when you reply, another thing, don't be so dogmatic. Have you ever had this situation where you firmly believe something only that you find out later you were wrong? Or am I the only one, right? We've all had that situation. We would do much better as we're slow to speak to say, you know, I could be wrong, but... Instead of like just diving in and pronouncing it like it is the fact. And most of the time we're dealing with opinions, not facts, aren't we? And opinions are simply that, they're opinions. And opinions are going to differ. And then James goes on and says, let me tell you one more thing. We need to be slow, and I'm going to put the word to emote, slow to get angry. And anger isn't the only thing, that the emotion that can stir up in a, in a conversation like this. But anger is typically the emotion that comes to the surface first. And it can certainly escalate. Have you ever noticed that? When you have a disagreement, how quickly we emotionally get involved in that and how quickly we can move to anger, to frustration, to irritation, to impatience. 
And James is saying here, don't go there. Because we're trying to resolve this issue. And when I move to emotions, I make it a whole lot harder to resolve it. And when I move to emotions, I bring things into the conversation that are not going to be helpful. Even things I say, the way that I act, the way that my face responds, and it turns into a situation where you say things you shouldn't, you likely overreact, you make bad assumptions, you take it personally, or you make it personal, and it doesn't go to a good place. And when we allow ourselves to get angry, another thing that we actually do is we give away, for lack of a better term here, we give away our power. And what I've done is I've taken my ability to control myself and to, and to be thoughtful and, and to respond kindly and with understanding. And I've let go of that ability to choose myself and I said to the other person, here, what you're saying and the way that you're acting is going to dictate how I respond now and how I react. And I've handed the power off to them. Does that make sense? As long as I keep myself under control, I have the power. When I lose control, I just said to the other person, you are dictating now what's going to happen here. And it's not really a control issue. It's a way of trying to say, how do we work through this situation? But you know, I think what's interesting about all of these things, being quick to hear and listen, being slow to speak, being slow to get angry, those are all things that I control. So that means the other person on the other side of this argument, debate, the, the, the conversation, they can say or do pretty much anything, and I can still choose to do all three of those things. And if I would choose to do all three of these things, it would probably de-escalate the situation tremendously. And actually, when I do those things, it keeps pushing the issue back to me to say, okay, am I right in this situation? Am I doing the right thing? Am I handling Am I thinking the right thoughts? And that's where we need to go. Because at least half of this issue lands in my court. At least when it comes to the responsibility of resolving it. But James didn't stop there just with that verse. He goes on in verse number 20 and he says this, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And what he's talking about here is knowing what the win is. And so when we get into an argument, a disagreement, what is the win? For most of us, the win is getting you to agree with me. But is that really what the win should be? Sometimes the win we feel like is either maintaining control or maybe it's establishing superiority. So I that I can say, well, I was right. There's something about us, and I don't know, maybe it's not everybody, but it's certainly me, where I just like to say, well, I'm right. Have you ever had these conversations when you argue about something like, did it happen on Saturday or Sunday? You know, some memory that you have, and you go back and forth, back and forth. No, it was Saturday. No, it was Sunday. No, it was Saturday. And it's like, does it really matter? No, but I need to be right. Well, this is because we don't understand what the win is. Is the win getting your way? 
or getting what you want? Is the win knocking down your opponent and putting him in his place? Is your win making sure that you can feel good about yourself? Let me just back up a second and say, why do we talk in terms of winning arguments? Well, I won that argument. What did you win? And what do you mean when you say you won? I'm not sure that we actually win when we win. Often when we think we won, meaning that we actually lost. I will not repeat that. But you know, silencing the other person, that doesn't mean that we won. That just means that we were the last person to speak. And probably the person gave up because what we're saying is so stupid it's not even worth responding to. But when, when did life become a competition? Other than when, you know, we're playing for the role of sweet tarts. But, but life isn't a competition, is it? So why do we pr- approach our relationships like that, like they're competitions? You know, there's a new thing that's out on the market now that, that, uh, um, is what they call these cooperative games. You know, I grew up, you know, you played, every game was out to just smash the other person. And, you know, you played Monopoly for, 15 hours until you could make your sister just grovel, you know, please, I'll pay you, you know, whatever. You know, you'd sell your birthright to win the Monopoly game because it was all competition. Now they have games like Pandemic and some of these other ones. That's a real famous one that's out there where you actually try to win together. It's like really weird to play those games because we live so much of our life in competition. But is that how it's supposed to be? Are we aware that we can win? And sometimes still lose? Are we aware that maybe both sides could actually win? There's a lot of questions that we need to think about. See, it's not wrong to have discussions or disagreements. But if we don't know what the win looks like, we're not going to end up in a good place. So James helps us out and he says, what? Hey, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. So what is the win? The win is righteousness. And so righteousness is more important than rightness. In other words, the way that we behave ourselves, the way that we act in this disagreement, the way the the words that we say, the way that we say them, is more important than we actually win or that we are right. And this is the point that he is making here. So the goal is not that you win, But that righteousness takes place. And when we're standing and yelling and screaming and insulting and ridiculing and and all those things that we get into, let me tell you, righteousness is not happening. And so sometimes we would be better to step back and say, you know, I don't even have to win this because there's a bigger win at play here. But James isn't done. He does have some more advice and some more instruction for us. And I want you to jump ahead to chapter 3. At the beginning, at the outset of chapter 3, James goes through a, a, a long section on controlling your tongue and your speech and saying the right things. And he gets down to verse number 13 and he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life and by the humility that comes from witness, or from wisdom, excuse me. But let me just point out here, unlike when we looked in James chapter 1 where he says, hey, my brothers, take note of this, there's no transitional statement here. So James is actually building on what he's been saying earlier in this passage. And what he's been saying earlier in this passage is, hey, be careful what you say. Control your tongue. Control your tongue. So 
Whoever is wise and understanding, that's an interesting word there, understanding, isn't it? Whoever is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life. Or if you have a King James Version, it says, let them show it by their conversation, which is an interesting word. But it's basically talking about your whole of life, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you communicate with people, the way that you work, the way that you live. Let him demonstrate this all. And then he adds another idea here. But do this with humility. Let it be done by the humility that comes from wisdom. And so James is saying, in your interaction with people, that should certainly include your conversations with people, one of the things that should come to the surface here is your humility. And the Greek word here is usually translated in the New Testament as your gentleness. That should be what comes to the surface. And then he goes on, he said, but let me give you a contrast. Verse number 14, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And that selfish ambition, it literally means if you spin wool. But he's saying if you have to manipulate and work and the do this with the situation to get what you want, you're messing this all up. In fact, it's the same as bitter envy, selfish ambition. And it's interesting where he says this. It's all taking place in your heart, which takes us back to last week when we talked about that idea, right? What's in our heart comes out in our words. And he says, so the point here is, is, is this. Don't resort to foul play. Or you could say, don't try to win by overpowering. So don't take this, don't spin this wool, don't manipulate. Don't lean into this debate and this conversation in ways where you get what you want by twisting things or by twisting the situation or by making it work to your advantage. And this is where most of us go. When we're in a conversation and we can't get the conversation or the disagreement to go where we want it to go, we move to overpowering. And we say things, or we threaten, or we manipulate, or we get louder, or we start to accuse, or we start to question motives, or we start to attack with universals. Well, you always, or you never, or I knew you would say something like that. And what we're doing is we're moving to power words. And it's really foul play. If we had an official there, he'd blow the whistle or throw the flag and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're out of bounds there. We ramp up the hyperbole. Sometimes we get in the digs or we set up our statements with like, you know, it would be obvious to any moron before we move on into what we're going to say. But what we're doing there is we are trying to win by intimidation. And we've left the argument behind. We've moved into emotion. And we're really taking emotion to another level here. And we're not going in a, a good direction. And we end up where we actually take the swing. And maybe not physically, but we certainly do verbally. There's a Japanese proverb, I'm told, that says this, the person who strikes the first blow admits that he has run out of arguments. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? 
When my argument's dead in the water and I still need to win, then I'm going to result to force. And whether that's physical force or whether that's verbal force or whether that's mental, emotional, whatever else like that. But it becomes a matter of overwhelming the person. But when we do that, we actually admit the weakness of our position. And it also reveals who we are and what's going on in our hearts. And we're saying, what? I need this for me. So what are we saying? I'm not all that concerned about what you think or what you say or what you even are going for over here. I'm really worried about what I think, what I say, and what I'm going to get at the back end of this. And we might get a win, but when we get it, it's a tainted victory. And let me just tell you, the long-term ramifications are not good. And even in our homes, sometimes we win the argument, but oh, we didn't win it. We just moved it down the road, and it's going to come back to us in ways that we don't want. You know, there's a story that my dad used to tell. He still, my dad was a pastor, and he used to love to tell the story, so I still remember it. But it was about the lion, and the lion was walking through the jungle, and he was saying, Oh, I am the king of the jungle. I am the king of the jungle. And he got underneath this tree, and the monkey was up in the tree. He said, You're the king of the jungle? He says, Yes, I'm the king of the jungle. Of course, everybody knows that. I am the king of the jungle. And the monkey says, You know what? The skunk walked through here yesterday, and he said that he was the king of the jungle. And the lion thought for a minute, and he said, The skunk is the king of the jungle. And the monkey said, really? You couldn't whip that skunk? He said, oh, I could whip the skunk, but it wouldn't be worth the stink. And this is what we do sometimes. We play the skunk card. I can't win this, but if I resort to this, I'll at least save face or I'll at least get, you know, to move a little bit in my direction. James says this about your victory. Such wisdom... It's in quotes there. Do you note that? Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Ouch. He's, he's talking to Christian people here. And he just described our conversations and our actions as we try to overpower other people and get our way as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That should make us pause and think about what we're saying. He says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. In other words, where you find arguments that have moved from what's healthy to what's unhealthy, it's because we have moved into this realm of selfish ambition. But then he flips it back. He says, But the wisdom that comes from above or from heaven is, first of all, pure. It's free from selfish motive. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. I consider you. I consider what you're saying. It's submissive. And that word actually means it's approachable and reasonable. It listens. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's kind and helpful. It's impartial. It's not swayed or biased, even by the other person's behavior. And it's sincere. And this is the demeanor that we want to bring into discussions and into disagreements. And if there's one word that describes all of this, what is it? Selflessness. I want to be more about you and less about me. And if I can be more about you and less about me, this disagreement's going to go better. We may never land on the same page, but we can still 
keep that relationship together. And this is what James goes on and says in verse number 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And this is the second win. It's where we choose relationship over rightness. Where I say you're more important to me and this relationship is more important to me than my being right is. And so I'm going to treat you with dignity. I'm going to treat you with respect. I'm going to respond kindly. I'm going to ask questions, not make assumptions, because of who you are. And relationship is more important, or it, we, and we choose it over rightness. Sometimes peace is the most valid outcome. Sometimes it's, we just say, well, you know what? We can disagree on that. But hey, we agree on so many other things. Or we can disagree on that, but you know, I value so much. And we can stay in that discussion then because we treat each other with dignity and kindness and respect. I want to just look at one final passage, and this is not what James says. This is what Paul says, and it's really a summary of what James just said. I just put it up here on the screen. Let your conversation be always full of grace. And that word conversation there simply means words. Let your words be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. And Paul here is talking to Christians in Colossians. He says, your words need to be full of grace. The Greek word there is charis, and it actually means gift. Your words need to be gifts. Seasoned with salt, meaning to, to make something more flavorful or more enjoyable, so that you can know how to answer everyone. And it's actually talking about how we communicate with people outside of the faith or people in the world. That means that if somebody in the world is challenging you as a Christian, you're going to gift them your words in response. But the whole idea here, you can take it a step further and say, anytime we're challenged, whether it's outside the church or in the church or with a relative or with a coworker or with a neighbor, my response is a gift of words. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And so here's the sixth rule when we're talking about having better relationships and, and talking about how do we deal with these types of situations. We offer, offer the gift of grace-filled words. And if we go back and look at that verse, let your conversation be, and what's the next word? Always. doesn't give any exceptions. It doesn't say, let your words be filled with grace when the other person is polite to you. Let your words be full of grace when he is reasonable and kind. Let your words be full of grace when actually what he's saying is making sense. It just says, let your words be always gifts of grace. That's a pretty big challenge, isn't it? But if we would take that into our disagreements, how would that change things? And that gives us our last win here, which is what? Choose resolution over rightness. The goal at the end of the day is that we resolve this. Not that we walk away and discuss. Not that we end up mad at each other. That we work through this and we get it resolved because we have chosen to take the right path to get there. So let me just ask two questions here as we finish this morning. What are you saying? What are we saying when we, like, always have to be right? Or what are we saying when we 
always are contrary. Or what are we saying when we get into repeated arguments? Or what are we saying when we resort to power plays to win? What are we saying with our words? It's not just what we're saying in this argument. It's actually saying who we are as people. And we need to remember that. And it goes all the way back to like righteousness comes first. And it goes all the way back to our heart needs to be right, not a heart of selfish ambition. And let me ask you this second question then. What is your win? Is your win dominating the other person? Is your win getting your own way? Is your win establishing the fact that you were actually right? Or is your win understanding? Is your win valuing another person? Is your win letting go of your rights and refusing to intimidate? It's your choice. But I think for all of us, this verbal warfare thing, it's time to lay down the weapons and be people whose words are gifts of grace. 